So welcome to this week's edition of the Retech Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Kate Ankertil. Now, Kate is a business futurist with a retail, consumer, brand, hospitality, and technology specialization. Now, I love this bit, making complex societal shifts and emerging technologies relatable for any audience. I'm not sure if they put that in, especially for me uh, as the host, but that's quite exciting. CEO and founder of GDR Creative Intelligence, Kate has uh, remarkably accrued more than 21 years experience in trends affecting business sectors and consumer behavior, sharing her visionary insights around the world. And I'm delighted to say with us here also on the Retech podcast today, considerable experience in live TV, radio, events and print. Uh, if you doubt that, just put her name into Google and uh, you'll be bombarded by pages of activity that she's done and worked extensively with large and small media organisations. So, Kate, thank you very much for taking the time to join us this week. Well, you're very welcome, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. So um, I have to ask this question because I did look at your LinkedIn profile and, uh, and have a, a little nose around Google, and there is a vast array of subject matter print that you've spoken on. But I have to go all the way back. There was young Kate sat staring out of the window at school. Did you dream of being a business futurist at seven years of age or was there something else that you thought was in your future? <laughs> I certainly didn't actually have any idea that um, there was such an industry as business futurism because I don't actually think there was then. Um, so no, I just kind of made that up as once I was a grown up. But when I was a kid, I did actually for quite a long time think I wanted to be a barrister. Wow. And then when I was about 14, um, a barrister came and gave a talk at the school and said, oh, of course, you should all contact your parents, um, friends who must, of course, be barristers and you should go and shadow them for a week. And I thought... No, my dad was a welder and my mum was a telephonist. We didn't know any viruses. Um, so I called him and uh, wrote to him and he had me come along for a week. Wow. And at the end of the week, I knew I didn't want to be a barrister. <laughs> I just thought, this is so not me. This is just really, my idea of boring. Um, you know, because I, I just discovered I loved the kind of verbal fluency that's why I thought that would be good for me because I was basically quite mouthy and sort of into discussion and argument argumentation and ideas um but I like to sort of big things up and make them exciting I didn't like the idea of sticking to boring old you know facts facts and uh, dates and yeah. no anyway it wasn't for me so that was useful to have learned that but I did end up obviously mm. you know talking for for a living exploring ideas um you know being so lucky to have such an interesting subject matter just to spend all my day wrapping my head around so yes this is right for me that would not have been right so how do you go so a barrister so it's clear you're very much into free thinking and forming your own thoughts, which if you quite rightly said, is probably not uh, number one on the list of things that a barrister gets to do. They just remember case law from 50 years ago. What was the journey? Where, where did you go first within that career? And just, just give me and our, and our audience a little, a little understanding of the thread that led through to... to well, to I was on. quite sort of... <sighs> 
politically engaged as you often are when young. <laughs> so I did a politics degree. Then I did a second politics degree on Southern African conflict. Wow. Then I worked for Amnesty International for seven years as a um, researcher, policy writer, minute taker. That was a useful one. Yeah. <laughs> I learned to take minutes. Most useful thing I ever learned in my life. Um, but then I also taught English for a couple of years in between. And that also helped with the public speaking, comfort in front of an audience. Um, but after seven years at Amnesty, you do feel the weight of the world on your shoulders somewhat. Although, although I, of course, completely admire what those people do. Fantastic work. It just, in truth, wasn't really me because I was naturally quite entrepreneurial and didn't come from money. So I had to go out and earn it. And most people who work for charities don't really come from my kind of background, in truth. So um, I wanted to move into the design industry because I just thought it would be sort of creative and glamorous. And, and anyway, I just sent my CV to every design agency in the UK and offered to sweep their floors. <laughs> One of them took me on and it happened to be, uh, you know, the, the forerunner of what became GDR. But back then it was matchmaking creative agencies with clients. So I got to know the design industry first. And then when I bought the company from the original founder after four years, uh, it was a very small company, by the way, <laughs> pretty much just bought myself. Um, <laughs> then I converted it into instead of matchmaking, it was kind of trend forecasting, but still gaining the insights of what was happening from the design agencies, case studies, effectively their, their creative work. So it was a complete fluke. I mean, you could not have made that career up. It just happened totally by accident. Well, you say by accident, I think you're selling yourself slightly short there. There was definite you know, milestones along the way, which took some planning to achieve. So, you know, there must have been a, a degree of this is where we want to get to. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to let you say sort of uh, take the, the total fluke. I, I think it sounds incredibly well thought through. So fast forward to today. Now, what takes up the bulk of your time? What is your day to day? Well, I have a fantastic, amazing and ridiculously clever team of people who are much cleverer than me. Um, I have strategists and insight people, research people who put together a huge amount of content and specialist insights into every possible question that you could imagine any kind of brand or retailer asking. And that's all going on at the same time. Um, so we're at any one time they're looking at payment, innovation, uh, what's happening in the physical store, what's happening in the omni-channel journey, what's happening in social media, uh, gaming, gamification, platform retail, uh, the metaverse, of course, and all of that stuff's going on in bubbling in the background because they're, they're, they're the consultants answering the specific questions, really difficult questions for uh, clients that in many cases retain us for many years. Um, I leave that to them <laughs> and then I just sort of I skim off the top if you know what I mean in the sense that I, I keep an eye on everything that they do so that I maintain my knowledge um, but then I use the non-proprietary of course um, content which is just what's happening in the real world 
and the digital world to construct, you know, with their help in most cases, um, the content for the conferences that I present to you, because that's my bit. You know, I've taken me 20 odd years to accept that it's okay not to be brilliant at absolutely everything. You know, you have to leave some other stuff to some other people who are better at it. So I don't embed in deep and difficult consultative questions. I um, flit around butterfly-like from one conference to another, um, conveying the kind of deep insights I hope that they have conveyed to me. And I then put together the sort of top level because you know, conferences, it's, you know, you've got half an hour to, you know, they won't remember what you said. They'll only remember, how you made them feel. And if you made them feel excited about something and perhaps not depressed about perhaps them feeling that they're not as far ahead as they should be because you give them some baby steps and you explain that everyone's in the same, you know, kind of conundrum of what should we do next? Where should we spend our money? What's a dead cert? What's highly speculative? What should you just be researching and probably not actually jumping in as a first mover at this point? Then they, I think they go away feeling, oh, OK, that's yeah, that's joined up some dots for me. And that just happens to be what I'm good at and what I like doing. And how lucky am I? It just requires very broad reading of masses of different sources and, you know, putting putting it all together, essentially. So my personal preference and skill set aligned perfectly in the end with the profession that I ended up with. So it's, and it all comes together because, so you're gonna skim off the trends, the key facts, the key learnings, and allow people that maybe aren't, you know, deeply into the subject to, to leave with, like you say, I love this, you know, leave excited and, and not, not fearful. The top people from the top organizations with the latest thinking about the best strategies to use in the greatest industry on earth, retail. The Retail Conference from the Retail Bulletin, exclusively at Retech Europe, 8th and 9th of November. Search The Retail Conference for more details. I happen to know that you're going to be keynoting at the retail conference, which is happening as part of Retech Europe on the 8th and 9th of November. It's our favourite location at the NEC in Birmingham. So are you going to be sharing thoughts on the industry? Is there some big topics that you think are still going to be relevant come the end of the year? What are you sort of looking towards? What are you talking about at the moment? And where do you think the next 12 months is going to lean? Well, yes, I'm going to be looking at the big issues of the day and I wouldn't dream of putting that content together until, you know, literally the last few weeks before it goes live because, you know, retail changes so quickly, doesn't it? The whole content that I'm talking about now will be entirely different. It'll be the same macro themes, of course, things don't change that fast, but it'll be different illustrative case studies. But essentially, the big issues of the day are the shift towards the store as a support system for the omnichannel um, fulfillment. So your 
kind of shift, I think, deleveraging of the physical retail space to become, you know, more of the support system for the e-commerce than perhaps in the past we considered e-commerce a support system to the physical retail store. Now that's not new, but there are always interesting new examples of that. And and therefore the implications for, well, what does experiential retail look like? Um, uh, And there are some phenomenally interesting um, examples of that just coming out at the moment actually, which probably will still be relevant by then, like, wow, Madrid, check that out that just looks amazing um so it's a space where you know it's for gen z um it's not a shop it's a department store of the future i suppose but you know it's pure experiential super exciting check it out online um and of course there's going to be um something about the again deleveraging of how how should we say boring websites yep. <laughs> um, and the move towards social um, social media as the sort of uh, the ecosystem within which selling happens but but within which selling is not the sole and primary driver because it's all about community going forward for the younger generations of course now everyone wants to know now that we've now that it's kind of occurred to us that um, we're heading for this big demographic explosion by 2030 half the world's population is going to be gen z and alpha that's only eight years away um and people need to obviously plan for what they like not what we like and then of course that leads you to the metaverse which is the big thing of the day of course and it may not be such a big thing by november you know maybe oh yeah we all know about the metaverse don't need you to tell us about it but by then i suspect there'll be you know, the same kind of cutting edge innovation that perhaps not everybody has got their head around and we'll be looking at a more sophisticated and nuanced um, interpretation of where the world is, where retailers and brands are. So right now we're just covering the very first incidences of, say, CVS trademarking its name for the metaverse. So the um, the US pharmacy chain, uh, that's never happened before in the world ever. Um, we've got people like PricewaterhouseCoopers um, buying land in the metaverse to build a virtual office in which to give their clients tax advice on their operations within the metaverse. And we've got Japanese recruitment companies having offices in the metaverse to help people recruit avatar (laughs) staff for the work that they do in the metaverse and to train their existing staff via the metaverse so you know people may not have quite got their head around all that stuff yet but you know when there's a gold rush because the people who make the most money are selling the shovels (laughs) and the people who sell the shovels are moving in big time so nobody knows in truth whether this is going to be the new third channel for retail literally no one knows anyone who tells you they know is making it up but there are certainly indications very strong indications i would suggest that this metaverse business and the nfts and what you can do with them do provide tools that are very appropriate to the preferences of these gen z and alpha who are about to be half the world's population (laughs) i I think you know 
just you know we do an awful lot of events around the world and i think when you mentioned the metaverse just 12 months ago there was a lot of eye rolling from people my age uh who are sort of in the management positions at the minute thinking oh it's just it's a load of rubbish it's another piece of technology but clearly it's coming and it's coming at us like like an express train i said before we came on air you know my boys are, are eight and ten and they both have oculus vr headsets and they talk to their friends and uh, and they interact in that world and quite frankly i put one on it just makes me feel sick um but they can um, they can operate there uh, and more and more of the video games and how they talk to their friends it's happening in in the early stages of that in that sort of vr world so yeah yeah those those younger generation they're going to be brought up on this you know i know from an education perspective, some of the teaching is going to be done in, in that format. There's all sorts of things coming online. Well, when it becomes normalized like that, I think you know, they will expect to do you know, retail activities. Who knows? You know, pick the seat on the aircraft, pick your holiday. You go on holiday with your headset. Um, so, yeah, fascinating. I think you know, we need people you know, like you and others taking all of this information, trying to sift through the rubbish uh, and, and make sense of it. So um, yeah, I like the idea of being able to come and uh, listen to you uh, and people like you and explain to me what's going on. And then, then you can go away and figure out which bit you need to understand a bit more and maybe which bit you can part because there's always the hype that doesn't fulfill. And then all of a sudden something tips, doesn't it? And then it just comes into the into the day to day. So. Um, Super excited that uh, you're going to be joining us at the NEC in November. Uh, super excited by the content that you're going to be sharing with us on that day. Um, I'll uh, work on the basis that we won't get the full details of your presentation or synopsis until three weeks out when we've got the latest hot topic. But for now, thank you so much for uh, giving us an overview of what we might expect. Uh, I'm almost tempted to invite you back on a monthly basis to, to, to keep drip feeding uh, amazing information but i'll try not to fill up your diary to that extent but kate for now thank you so much indeed for taking the time to join us and we'll see you in person later in the year thanks a lot paul